Christmas, looking at the Gospel of John, Christmas according to John. If you know, in the Bible you have an Old and New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament are called Gospels. This is the fourth one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we're just looking at uh, three verses this morning, the first three. But as you turn, I want to share just real quick. Thank you for last week. Thank you for the gentleman that filled in. This is our belief as a church that the Word does the work. It doesn't matter much on style. It matters a ton on substance. And so as long as you take the Word and say, this is the Word of the Lord, the work is getting done. It reminds me of a quote by John Wesley. He says, God buries his workmen but carries on his work. It matters little who's up here. It matters much about the Word of God. The Word does the work. So I thank Matt, Stephen, and Andrew for finishing our series in Colossians. Now we're moving towards Christmas. I want us to get a few things Right, I want us to think deeply on some truths you may have heard from a long time ago, or they might be new to you this morning. And so let's read the text, and then we'll we'll jump in and do some background on our message today. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3. Through Him all things were made. Without Him... Nothing was made that has been made. Isn't that quick? Three verses, just like that. Your life radically changes because of the truths found in these three verses. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you open up our hearts, open up our minds, help us see with fresh eyes the truth about your son, Jesus. Help help us see him clearly this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First off, we want to get to the point. Why is John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing this book? Why is he writing this gospel? And we find that in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who was promised from the Old Testament. The one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. The one whose kingdom would know no end. That's the Messiah. It's Jesus. But he goes on to say that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There is no life apart from Christ. Therefore, knowing Jesus and believing leads to life. This is eternity in three verses. Do you know Jesus it's an amazing hymn and amazing song that we sung this morning speaking exactly who is in the manger but you know what our world is desperate to find out who God is there's a lot of confusion in our world I'll read to you an interview that Oprah Winfrey had now this is going back this is about 2015 So many people say I'm not religious, but I am spiritual, Oprah says. Well, you cannot move through life without a belief system, whether that's art, music, fashion, science, or God. Whatever you devote yourself to, that is your belief. I'm in a good place now because I know that we've captured that. In my soul, I'm proud that this is my life's work. For Oprah, it doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you are sincere in believing that. 
And you know what? Our world agrees with her. She did an interview of a lady by the name of Diana Nyad. Has anyone heard of Diana Nyad? I had never heard of this lady. But I am impressed with what she accomplished. Now, she's an atheist, but she's also a long-distance swimmer. She's a 64-year-old woman who swam from Cuba to Florida. Took her 53 hours, nonstop, swimming. Now, just check this out. In 1978, she attempted her first swim, but because of the uh, dangerous swells and the strong currents that pushed her off course, forced her out of the water at 42 hours. She retired from long-distance swimming after that, which I would understand. But after three decades away from marathon swimming, she decided to make another try at swimming from Cuba to Florida. She attempted the journey on August 2011, but had to end it after 28 hours in the water due to an extended asthma attack. Can you imagine having an asthma attack in the middle of the ocean? So maybe she will get, nope. Her third attempt, the following month, had to stop short after 21 hours due to venomous jellyfish stings. Nyad made a fourth bid in August 2012, but once again was forced to stop before reaching Key West due to storms and a jellyfish sting. Nyad began her fifth attempt to go from Cuba to Florida on the morning of August 31st. For part of the journey, she wore a bodysuit, gloves, and a special mask to protect her from jellyfish. However, the mask caused her to take on lots of salt water, which made her vomit throughout much of the swim. Nevertheless, on September 2nd, after 53 hours open water, she successfully made it to Key West and staggered on the shore. So that's who this lady is. She has some drive. But I want you to see this. Here is a woman that understands beauty, has seen the ocean, and is amazed by the power and beauty of it, yet does not recognize God. This is what she said in her interview with Oprah. I can stand at the beach's edge and see the beauty of this universe and be moved by all humanity. To me, the definition of God is humanity. And it is the love of humanity. That's how some people define who God is. Oprah defined it as music, art, fashion, science, or God, whatever. Whatever drives your heart, go after it. Oprah said, well, I don't call you an atheist then. I think if you believe in the awe and the wonder and the mystery, then that's what God is. That's what God is. God is not a bearded guy in the sky. Do you consider yourself a spiritual person even though you're an atheist? Her response, I do, and I don't think there's any contradiction in those terms. I can be an atheist who doesn't believe in an overarching being who created all of this and sees over it, but there's spirituality because we are human beings, and we animals, and maybe even the plants, but certainly the ocean, moon, and stars, we all live with something, and that is cherished if we treasure it. Do you see the confusion to which Oprah offered not a helpful solution? Well, I believe that and feel that so deeply. That's so why every time that I enter the yard or leave, I say, hello, trees. Do you see the confusion and desperation? And you want to know what the tendency for us as believers to do? Shake our heads. How silly. But you know what? If I didn't know Jesus, I didn't know there was a God who loved me, who came to rescue me, I'd be just as desperate to find something out there to call God. Listen to what Paul did. This should be our reaction to that. 
Paul shows up in Athens in Acts 17, 16 to 23. He says, while Paul was waiting from them in Athens, waiting for his boys to show up, he was greatly distressed. You understand stressed out? What causes him stress? Is it his bills? Is it his health? No, this is what stressed him out. He was distressed to see that the city was full of idols. We live in cities that are full of idols. It should stress us out. So what did he do? He reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. Then he got a group of teachers, and they said, hey, you got to come. And he goes to Areopagus, and he shares, and check out what happens. Paul then stood up in the meeting at the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that everywhere you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and that is what I'm going to proclaim to you. You don't have to guess anymore at an unknown God. There is a God who created the universe, whom you will give an account, and his name is Jesus. So as we get here, I, I put on the slide, John doesn't waste any time getting to the topic of who Jesus is. You see, you got to understand this. John had been walking with Jesus in ministry for three years, and it took him all the way until the end to recognize who Jesus was. And he doesn't want us as readers to wait that long. And so right from the beginning, this is who Jesus is. He gets up close and personal. It reminds me of a baseball card that I had back in 1994. You guys weren't alive then. It's an older card. 1994, I had a Michael Jordan. Do you guys know Michael Jordan played baseball? He did. On most cards, on the back of the cards, you get stats. But on the up-close and personal cards, you get a story. And on the back of Michael Jordan's card, it explains why he's playing baseball. We get to see some motivation on who Michael Jordan is. Now, this is exactly what John does with the first three verses of his gospel. He's getting up close and personal. He's saying, hey, you need to know this about Jesus. Real quick, knowing Jesus from the inspired word is very, very important. Because there's a lot of people who have opinions on who Jesus is. He's a good teacher. He was a spirit. He makes up all the good things of humanity. There's all this garbage out there saying who Jesus is. The Bible is clear on who Jesus is. And there's four things that we're going to see today from the book of John about who Jesus is. Number one, he's eternal. Number two, he's God. Number three, he's eternally the son of God in relationship with the father from the beginning. And number four, he's the creator. You and I and nothing else that was created would have been created unless Jesus did it. Those four things we need to rest deep down in our hearts because John's writing this so that in knowing Jesus you may believe and that by believing you may have life. And you're like, Ben, I already know that. Well, let this be just another nail to anchor your soul to who Jesus is. And maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Believe and have life. So we start out with the word. You, you guys see this. In the beginning was the word. What in the world is John talking about? The Word is Jesus. And we know this from verse 14. 
This will be in, in, not next week, but the week after. We're going to get to just one verse, John 14. It says, the word became flesh. That's how we know it is Jesus. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 helps us out with understanding this. What, what does he mean by word? In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he has also made the universe. Jesus is the message from the Father. Jesus is the message. He is the truth. If you want to have a relationship with God, it's through His Word, and His name is Jesus. John Piper put it this way, What God has to say to us was not only or mainly what Jesus said, but who Jesus was and what Jesus did. It's not just teaching but it's his putting on of the flesh, the living sinless life, dying in our place, rising from the grave. That's the message the Father is sending to you through the Word, His Son. Jesus is the Word. Or, as Jesus put it in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the truth. He is the Word. And we see, number one, Jesus is eternal. Verse one, very first thing. In the beginning was the Word. Now, what does that remind you of? Genesis, very first book of the Bible. In the beginning, God. God is before the beginning. Tucky, when's your birthday? What year? 2007. So what were you doing in 2005? Nothing, right? Jason, when's your birthday? What year? All right. So you would know about the baseball card, but you don't know about the Reds winning the World Series in 1990. You didn't make it to the game, did you? No, not there. Not there. Now I got to be careful. I don't want to pick on anybody. Uh, Ava, when were you born? I knew that. 2006. You know anything what was going on with your mom and dad in 2000? No? Hmm. Interesting. Why? We could go all around, and guess what? All of us have birth dates and birth years. And if we go to 1875, and I can ask you, what were you doing on that day? You would say, nothing. Duh, I wasn't around. What John is saying here is, hey, I know a guy that's not like anybody else on the planet. Before the world was created, he was. Jesus is eternal who took on flesh. Now that means something. What should you be thinking right now? Who is eternal? Jesus. God. Hmm. So if John's saying Jesus is eternal, and we know God is eternal, he doesn't have a beginning, he always was, what is John saying about Jesus? He's God. And, but we read this multiple times in the Bible. Jude one twenty five it says to the only God and Savior be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages. Or you could use 2 Timothy 1.9 This grace was given in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Jesus is outside of matter. He's outside of time and space. He is eternally the Son of God who became flesh. Or you could use Jesus' words in John 17.5 
And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. What an amazing truth. And you guys hit it right on the head. Alarm bells should be going off. Oh, Jesus is eternal. God is eternal. Therefore, Jesus must be God. Or, he's crazy. You guys remember C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis did a thing called Lord, Liar, Lunatic. Right? For all these sayings about who Jesus is, he fit them into three categories. Right? And this is why he said it. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying really foolish things that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Right? He was a good guy. He was a great teacher. That's not an option. That is one thing we must not say. Why, C.S. Lewis? A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Did you hear what he said in John 17? Glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. If you are under a teacher and he says that about himself, run. It's not a good teacher. It's a crazy person. Says he is either a lunatic on the level with a man saying he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Jesus is eternal, which leads us to number two. Jesus is God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Colossians 1, 15, listen, we spent a lot of time here. I hope you remember this passage from verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. When you see Jesus, you see God. Or in Hebrews 1, 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the Word of His that is who Jesus is. And we get that, that Jesus is eternal and that Jesus is God from John 1, 1. It's an amazing thing. It took John a long time to learn this, but he wants you to know it right now. Piper had this to say about this passage. He goes, John means for us to read every word of his gospel with a clear, solid, amazed knowledge that Jesus Christ was with God and was God and that the one who laid his life on the line for the created universe is God. John wants you to know and believe the magnificent Savior. Whatever else you might enjoy about Jesus, John wants you to know and treasure Jesus in his infinite majesty. One of the biggest truths, mind-staggering truths, Jesus is God. And you know what? There's two responses to this. And I think it's interesting, you know, as you, as you get through, how many manger scenes have you guys seen? We see them all over the place. You'll see one here next week. And you got this baby in a cradle. Isn't it unreal to think that that is eternally the Son of God who came to rescue us? Humbled himself to take on flesh. You see the sense of all Christmas should bring? There's two responses 
to Jesus being God. You guys remember the Pharisees? Jesus is around. Uh, give me some of the good works that Jesus did. Healed blind, healed the lame, fed 5,000 like it was no big deal. Walked on water. Right? Nonstop. So the Pharisees are mad at him. They're mad at him, and they're mad enough to bend down and pick up some rocks and say, we're killing you. And Jesus just asks them, hey, for what good work are you putting me to death? And the Pharisees' response is, it's not for a good work we're putting you to death. It's because you, being a man, claim to be God. And that was their response. The other person was a guy named Thomas. You guys know Thomas' nickname? Doubting Thomas, right? Because unfortunately, he wasn't with his boys hiding out. When Jesus showed up after the resurrection. Like, can you imagine that? You just saw your best friend crucified on a cross. But three days later, he shows up to your room and he's talking to you. And then you try to tell Thomas, and Thomas like, no, I wasn't here, I didn't see it. And he says, unless I see it, unless I touch his hands, I'm not believing. And guess what happens? Jesus shows up again. Hey, Thomas, come on over here. Check this out. You know how Thomas responded? The Bible says that he fell down and worshipped Jesus as God. You see, a lot of times people respond in one of two ways. I'll do what the Pharisees did. I don't have to care about Jesus. He's not God. That's not for me. I'd rather live for myself. I'd rather do what I want to do. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. But for Thomas, he understood something. Jesus is God. And isn't that amazing how that changes lives? You see, if you're the biggest deal in your life, Jesus isn't God of your life. You're God of your life. You do what you want to do. You say what you want to say. You live how you want to live. You can show up here as many times as you want to, but you're your own God. For Thomas, he knew Jesus was God, and he bowed down to worship. You know, information changes things. Information can change directions. Uh, this has been, I guess, Ava, it's been a couple weeks since we went down to Pendleton County for a scrimmage. We're going down to Pendleton County, and her coaches text her, hey, there's an accident off the exit. You may want to uh, get off and take 25. Well, that's 20 miles. Uh, it wasn't even the, the dry ridge exit. It wasn't the Crittenden. It was uh, Richwood. I'm like, man, that's a, a long way to go around. But you want to know what? The information changed our direction. The accident had been a bad one, and it stopped the highway. You weren't going to get there that way. So the GPS, whoop, 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 we finally got there to Pendleton County High School for the scrimmage, and we got there on time, right? Information changed direction. Now, John is saying, hey, Jesus is eternal, and Jesus is God. That information should change our direction. So for all those people with Oprah going after arts or music or sports, fame, popularity, money, power, humanity, for the Pharisees throwing rocks at Jesus saying, you're claiming to be God, but you're only a man. 
for all those people, John is saying, uh-uh, Jesus is God. And the proper response is centering your life around Christ. You see, that information should change the direction of your life. So here's my question to you today. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Now, that fact won't change the fact that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, but it will change your eternity. We know Jesus is eternal. We know that Jesus is God. These next two will go a little quicker. We also know that Jesus is eternally the Son of God who was with God the Father from the beginning. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. John 1, 2, he was with God in the beginning. I tried to explain this to our group on Wednesday night about the Trinity, and every illustration of the Trinity falls short. Right? You can use water, uh, liquid, solid, gas. It's, it's all H2O. It's just different forms. That falls short. Uh, we try to draw three circles over the same exact circle. So you have three circles, but it's one circle, and that illustration falls way short. But this is what we know. We know that we serve one God and three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit is as much and fully God as Jesus is as much and fully God as the Father is as much and fully God. We also know they are distinct persons, that the Father is not the Son and that the Son is not the Holy Spirit. This is who God is. But we also understand this, that God was never lonely. God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit enjoy perfect fellowship. They weren't lonely. They didn't create us out of a loneliness. He created us out of His joy and love. And from the very beginning, before time and space and matter was ever created, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were existing. There is no beginning with God. One day we will do a sermon series on the Trinity. And we will dig deep, as deep as we can, on who God is. It's very important not to be dismissive with this because we know God in three persons. And then finally, number four, Jesus is the creator. And we don't have to spend too much time here because we covered this in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For in him all things were created. But I want you to know this because there was an argument coming up in the early church that Jesus wasn't God and the Jehovah Witnesses claim that Jesus is just a God who was created. He's a little less than the Father. Jesus is not less than the Father. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He knows you. He knows the number of hair on your head. He's able to walk on water. He's able to touch a man with leprosy and not get leprosy, but heal the leper. Jesus has all of that. He laid it aside to become man, but make no mistake, Jesus is fully God. And this verse actually helps us with that. It says, through him, all things were made. Now, you could say, well, with that statement, maybe he made everything after the Father made him. But that's not where the verse ends. We read, without him, nothing was made that has been made. I don't know how much more clear you can be. If it was made, Jesus made it. And nothing was made that Jesus didn't make. Jesus is eternally the Son of God who was active in creating the universe. I love this. In Revelation 4, 11, this will be a song all of those in Christ will sing. 
Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You guys are able to take your breath because Jesus is upholding the universe. We have our being because Jesus is in control. What a Savior. There was a quote that went like this, There is no, not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It's all his. We are created by him and for him. To him be glory. I'll leave you with this illustration, uh, then we'll pray and we'll move into our time of the Lord's Supper. Uh, over the uh, election weekend, it was a long weekend, uh, we were able to go to Indianapolis. Indianapolis has an NBA team, the Indianapolis Pacers, Indiana Pacers. And they were playing the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, before that game, I could name you one player. Who's on the Pelicans? Zion Williamson, right? We know him. Who's that guy in the picture? That was what I was saying. I was like, uh, Julianne, he's getting on the bus. He has the Pelican bag. And he was like, I'm going to get a selfie with him. I'm like, Ava, we're not sure this could be the team manager. We don't know who he is. Come to find out, she takes the selfie with this guy. This is Devontae Graham. Devontae Graham has scored a lot of points in the NBA. He actually had a 40-point game two seasons ago. Now, he's a backup guard, but he's also in the NBA. He was an all-NCAA team member, tournament team member for Kansas back in the day. We don't hold that against him. But I was just glad to come to find out he was actually a basketball player. I thought Ava was just going up to a stranger on the street to get a selfie. Now, it might be hard to see. We'll say to our right, you see two guys looking over Ava's shoulder. And then in the very middle, way back, you see two other people, one with a gray shirt, one with a blue shirt. Why was the camera not focused on them? They weren't NBA basketball players. We knew they weren't on the team. You see, when we come to know who that guy was, we wanted to center the pitcher on him. What John is doing here is showing, hey, this is who Jesus is. Just knowing the facts will not save you. And we'll be talking about this for the next few weeks, but this is what saves you. You take your life and you give it to Jesus. You center your life on Christ. Why do you do that? Because Jesus is eternal. He is God. He's eternally the Son of God with the Father from the beginning who created you, sustains you, and you should live for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word. I thank you for who Jesus is. I thank you for sending him to save us. And Father, as we move in to prepare for the Lord's Supper, I pray that you help us think through and clear our hearts and minds. Help us confess sin to you. Help us approach the table with respect and honor and a sense of awe that God came to us when we couldn't get to him so that we might have life. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.